Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Curious Competitor Podcast. I'm your guest and your host today, Connor Carrick. We are doing together, you and I, a solo podcast. I uh, admittedly am a little rusty and want to thank you again for joining me and, and forgive me uh, for a bit of a break there. I think it was uh, multiple parts as, as to why I ended up taking a break um, from the you know summer rhythm I, w- I was in prior to training camp. One was I didn't feel very reflective at the time of training camp. I really uh, wanted to, you know, focus on trying to make the Seattle Kraken. You know, I was kind of, uh, you know, told in the free agency process that there would be an opportunity uh, to make that team. And, and I wanted to be as absolutely sharp as possible. And, and I, you know, became very singularly focused uh, on that. And then as training camp progressed, we'll talk a little bit today on the podcast, but I want to get uh, my, my apology and, and my excitement out of the way, uh, for, for doing this again. Um, I was, uh, in a, in a tough spot mentally after training camp and in between that. And I think the inertia of just stopping is what led to a little bit of the pause in the podcast, but we're back at it today. Uh, that's about a minute and a half of, of apology. Uh, if you want more, uh, please feel free to DM me. I had some people ask me if I was coming back on the podcast, and I thank you for the nudge uh, to get back to doing this again because I, I really enjoy the art and craft of of storytelling, uh, of learning, and both those things are you know practiced in in uh, great volumes here on the podcast. I also find it interesting. You know, I was uh, thinking there for a bit. You are what you repeatedly do, so I in this whole time, definitely identified still as a podcaster, uh, but I was not doing them per se. I, I have a couple that I was doing, uh, you know, for the weeks to come and, and release, but I wasn't actively pumping out podcasts each and every week. And I, I remember, you know, Dr. Stephanie Estima, I was talking, who hosts the Better Podcast, a phenomenal podcast focusing a lot on on women's health and, and you know, different uh, metabolic uh, studies and, and things of that sort. Uh, you know, she mentioned she was a more veteran uh, podcaster when I had her on, on the Curious Competitor podcast. And uh, she said, you know, be, be careful of the podcast graveyard. I think 10 was a number that she provided saying that a lot of podcasters uh, have an initial oomph, are very excited to do and host their own podcast, but then fail to show up each and every week, or or maybe more or less than that, depending on the cadence release uh, around 10. So I, I made it uh, all the way to around a year of, of pumping out week in, week out, but we're back at it. We're back at it and we're back for good. So let's uh, rewind a little bit. Today is January, let's see, January 6th as I record. Uh, I want to talk about uh, training camp in Seattle because it was the inaugural training camp for the Seattle Crack, and I find it uh, to be an interesting interesting time, and it's really something even I want to bookmark. I have a, I have a son now, Charlie, who's closing in on being a year old. Uh, he's 11 months and and don't make me talk about it any longer because I'll, I'll start to tear up. But I, I want to be able to have uh, this story and, and this, this time in my life sort of bookmark because it is so uh, important for the NHL and the Seattle Kraken coming uh, to be. But it really was uh, the first season in quite a few since I think it was 2016, 2017. I think it was 2017 since I wasn't on an NHL roster. Uh, to, to start the season. Uh, so a couple things of note. Uh, one, Dave Haxall, uh, Jay Leach, and Paul McFarlane uh, ran a great training camp, a demanding training camp. 
that's what that's here in my note. Uh, day one featured sort of what I remember as the Barry Trotz skate test. That was the first time I was introduced to it. We had a, a battle drill filled practice. Uh, I think coaches want to see, you know, the skill level and the compete level uh, from players, you know, all summer long, you train your individual components, right? You go to the gym, uh, you're doing, you know, maybe breath work, your meditation, uh, sort of your, your mental sharpening uh, for the season. But what you, what you can't get is sort of the recklessness or the dirty pucks and the ugly pucks that, that come through uh, competitive play uh, with the accountability of a coach, right? A coach just pushes players to another level. It's why I've always been grateful for some of the high-end coaches that I've had over the course of my career. Uh, and Dave Haxall was able to demand that uh, as of day one. Um, and I, I was happy with how I did. Uh, I was uh, I was skating well. I, I think, you know, offensively, I made a lot happen, even in the one preseason game. Uh, I've got my note here. I, I had seven shots on net, which was, you know, kind of uncanny. I can't remember an NHL game uh, where I had that many offensive touches. You know, I thought my gaps were good, was on the ice for a couple goals against. Uh, which hurts anytime you're uh, on a slim margin for trying to make a team. Something I thought of note that would be interesting to talk about uh, was I was I've been having you know for years now uh, some equipment issues. So Bauer, which is the hockey skate I had used most of my life growing up, I uh, they sort of changed the uh, toe box and and made it a much slimmer profile. And I have a very fat foot, so imagine uh, Lexi and I always joke about the contrast of our our feet. Uh, her feet are real slim and thin, almost like uh, flippers, and mine look like a, a tiger paw or like they've been in a in a meat grinder stuck in a in a skate uh, boot for years and years, which they they have. Uh, but it's a very thick foot. So Bauer made this switch, and so all summer long I was kind of ping pong off a couple of different options. I you know had used True in the past, uh, wasn't a good fit for me. I had flirted with CCM and really liked the dexterity. I felt like uh, the CCM boot, I, I did a scan of my foot, really let me defensively have some of the shuffles and the agility that I was looking for in the skate, but the top speed and the first couple steps didn't have the oomph uh, I was looking for. So oddly enough, I was uh, looking back through uh, my parents. I have a, sort of a, a, gra- uh, a gear graveyard spread out. You know, Part of it's in the garage, part of it's in the basement and containers with the lid on them. And I happened to find... Now these are this is beautiful, some Bauer APX twos uh, with the number fifty eight on the bottom, which was uh, the number I was going to wear uh, in Washington to to try out for Seattle. Which I want to point out that parallel I thought was was interesting was at the beginning of my career started in Washington D.C. and I was wearing number fifty eight, and then I was heading west to go try out in Washington wearing number fifty eight again. So I I thought that was kind of serendipitous uh, and a sign I was going to make the team uh, not to be. Uh, but I, so I was using these APX twos, uh, for my rookie season and they were frankly, you know, beat the hell. Uh, they were really, uh, wobbly, which I want to explain for the listener. If you're not a hockey player, a beat town skate sometimes, uh, will, will feel very comfortable initially. Uh, the laces will kind of groove into the foot in a way that, um, it, it just gets tighter and tighter. Cause even the, the tongue and things like that tend to erode from all of the uh, tightening and the friction. So the, the lacing pattern can really start to create pressure points on the foot. Uh, I was experiencing a little bit of that, uh, but generally uh, open ice skating felt really, really strong. It was some of the pivots and things like that. Uh, and, and some of the 
severe eccentric forces where I was really stopping and preparing to take a hit where the skate was so soft and I was struggling to um, perform the way I wanted to. But, uh, you know, it was an interesting example of, you know, what's physical versus mental. And I mentioned it there in the intro that that's uh, a couple of the key components of this podcast was, you know, mentally I was frustrated that I was having to dig this deep for a skate that fit. And I, w- I was still trying to figure out other samples uh, that could, you know, fix the problem on the side. And, and this is actually still going on now midway through the season. Um, but physically, I thought this was, was a, a funny expression. So I trained very hard every summer. You know, I won the you know most fit player as a Toronto Maple Leaf uh, and finished second uh, the year prior. Um, trained a lot of the same way with Ian Mack and Tom Hawk Science. Uh, we always, you know, push the aerobic capacity in our training. Uh, we really get after it on the anaerobic side. So in terms of as what most people would recognize is what, what kind of shape I would show up in camp. I always show up in great shape and, and I, I take great pride in that. Uh, but one of the things I thought was interesting was with this older skate, I just liked the way that my, particularly my north-south sort of full-length stride felt. And uh, I was able to win this Barry Trotz uh, skating test I mentioned, which was um, goal line back, goal line back, and through the red. Uh, the coaches in that in Seattle were timing it. You know, in, in Washington, it was a little bit more of a test uh, where uh, you had an individual person sort of giving you a pass, a pass fail uh, grade. And the time you had to beat then was 38 seconds, uh, followed by two minutes of rest. 40 seconds, uh, followed by two minutes of rest and then another 40 seconds. So I remember my days in Washington, I was skating well then, uh, but never, uh, the, the first year with the way the practice was scheduled, wasn't able to make it. And, and the practice really does take a huge dent because I, you know, hadn't failed the test prior to training camp, uh, when practiced on a clean sheet, but something I found particularly of note, uh, in the four groups, you know, I, I didn't beat everybody, um, in sort of the skate test. Uh, but I was able to win uh, all three repetitions in my group, which I was, you know, frankly, really proud of. I've never really identified as uh, the skater with the best endurance uh, in training camp, but uh, I'm I'm confident that uh, with the proper fit, uh, you know, I kind of knew really for years as I've been dealing with this, that there was just another level to my skating. And it was this curiosity and this, this, unaccepting of the frustration that was, you know, could have easily set in that I I was going to be as curious as I needed to, to skate my best uh, for training camp. So I was really happy with that. And a couple like notes I remember about my game was particularly my uh, defensive uh, gap and things like that uh, was great in training camp. Uh, My ability to defend time and time again was great. I felt like my ability to break out was really good. My escape ability. I just felt like I could, I could get to an open ice trot and be stable and fast and, uh, you know, be able to get the four checker sort of leaning and then be able to use my hands to, to make plays around them. Uh, the only issue, you know, I, I mentioned it a little bit earlier was I didn't feel as stable on some of the physical contact taking and, and giving hits. Uh, and actually some of the mini skids and things like that, where you need to create stability for your, your shot, uh, and, and be able to create torque with the stick. Some of your one timers, uh, gave me, uh, some trouble. Another note I have, I only played the one preseason game, uh, but something I will never forget. We were playing the Edmonton Oilers power play, which was the best power play in the National Hockey League last year. And I think they were slinging it about 
you know, 50% there for the first 10 games of, of the current season, the 2021-2022 um, season. There was a play where Leon Dreisaitl, uh, who I had experienced playing with, uh, playing against uh, when he was on Team Germany a bit, and I played against him a little bit in the NHL. He's, he's bigger than you think. He's stronger than you think. Uh, he's faster than you think, and his hands are better than you think, which is a, a phrase I steal from Barry Trotz again uh, when he uh, described Andre Kopitar uh, the first time I'd ever played him uh, to our team in Washington. Drysaddle made this wonderful play. Uh, there was a they went below the goal line, and he changed from his forehand side, so he you know could have uh, passed back to ninety seven McDavid on the half wall. Uh, decided not to kind of change sides behind the net. So he's carrying the puck from our goalie's left to our goalie's right behind the net, which would be his forehand side of the rink. Now he's, he's skating to his backhand. He made this backhand sling that might have been, it, it, it looked like it was 80 miles an hour, this sauce pass, and it just landed on a dime, uh, like a, a perfect uh, spiral. And it reminds me of this rule we had uh, with the National Team Development Program. Dan Cole was our coach at the time, uh, who I didn't always, uh, I rarely actually saw eye to eye with, and and I'm, a little bit older now, so I can I can say that with confidence. Uh, we used to have a no backhand pass rule, which I think is just a, a testament to how different the game is today, uh, how high skilled the game is today. I I, I see you know the best players in the game. Uh, I'd be curious, you know, to see what percentage of their points come from the backhand. But Leon Drysital, you know, one of the leading goal scorers in the league, one of the leading assist achievers of the league, uh, makes. So many good backhand plays, and there were a couple of them in that game, but that was one where, you know, guys up and down the bench and on Seattle were looking around like that was a play, uh, you know, by one of the best, you know, puck players in the game today. Um, I've talked to uh, Dan Bilesma, who's one of our coaches here with the Charlotte Checkers, where I'm currently playing, and he obviously, you know, uh, was the head coach for the Buffalo Sabres, had uh, Jack Eichel, you know, supremely special player there. And then number 87, Sidney Crosby, you know, arguably uh, the best player I've seen in, in, you know, my lifetime for most of it anyway, uh, super special player. And, and, you know, we had talked a little bit about just the percentage of the game that he plays on his back end. So uh, something I guess I, I want to offer as a piece of advice uh, for young uh, coaches who are listening or young players is, uh, you know, question what is possible for this game. Try and project out okay, the game is always getting better. How can that be? What is the next level of evolution in this sport? So for example, uh, one of the things I think that will just be standard if it isn't already is, and there'll always be you know players at the top of it, but is supreme backhand play. I think there's so much of it now in the NHL uh, and a lot of it is a cause of, of just how fast and high paced the game is uh, and, and how well angling and, and gapping up is coached, uh, you know, by, you know, such uh, the high end coaches who've really been able to study how to defend and how to shut down players now is it's very difficult uh, to always get to uh, your preferred position on the ice. You know, maybe your, your forehand with speed, uh, you know, facing the middle of the ice where, you know, everything is sort of available to you. Uh, and, and sometimes you're going to have to be able to make these, these backhand plays, these backhand chips, that was kind of the backhand uh, pass that I learned was this little chip sauce. Uh, but this play that I'm talking about, Leon, was like a full backhand send, right? There's a difference uh, between where you're carrying the puck from your forehand to your backhand side. You can just kind of use uh, the recoil, the stick, to pop it. 
uh, and, and that tends to be a play that's a lot more uh, easy to read, making it easier for defenders to pick off. It makes it uh, a lot softer of a pass. Uh, and because it has to go in the air, it doesn't always get there as quickly uh, versus this backhand send where there's a little bit of a cradle uh, on your back and your hands kind of cup the puck almost as if it would forehand. There's a little bit of a, of a flex almost as you, as you lean and, and suction the, the puck flat to the ice uh, and send it across the rink. Uh, it's a play you see more and more every night. Um, you know, Adam Oates actually uh, was, was pretty, I can almost uniquely thank just him for my backhand play. I consider myself a strong backhand player now. Uh, he was someone that really started to teach the dynamics of, of how to make a backhand pass, what your hands had to do, what situations of the ice you, you need to make them in. And uh, I, this was when I used him as a personal consultant, uh, as he does uh, you know, solely for his profession now. But I also had him teach this to me my first NHL training camp. There was a puck. We're doing breakouts. I'm a right shot. D-men, so every right-hand corner uh, be a forehand pass up to the winger, for example, or the center. Uh, but this puck particularly we're doing breakouts was to my left corner. So it was my backhand corner. And I kind of went off of old habits as one does as a hockey player and, and skated back to my left and surrounded this puck. The puck never touched my backhand, grabbed it on my forehand and made this play up the rink. Adam was the head coach at the time uh, for the Capitals and, and just said like, hey, frankly, what the hell was that? And I didn't really know what he was talking about. And uh, he said, what are you scared? Still didn't entirely know what he was talking about. And I said, you know, why don't you make that play on your backhand? And I didn't have an answer for, you know, the Hall of Famer. I was a 19-year-old uh, punk kid uh, with really no even fathoming that I was about, uh, I was on my way to making uh, the team at this point. This was actually day one of the main training camp. And he goes, well, there's going to be someone like on your back. You just don't have a year to, you know, have coffee and uh, go grit this puck. Uh, on your forehand, you've got to be able to make this backhand play. And so that sort of, uh, from that day forward, started to turn my attention to how often I would need to train uh, this really unattended to part of, of my game. Uh, so enough about backhands. Uh, back to training camp with Seattle. Uh, one of the notes I have here is I kind of went back to something I used earlier in my career. I don't know if it was complacency that, that had me lose this habit or frankly, just growing confidence. Um, but I, I kind of used a, a game seven mentality each and every day. And I think it really led to a strong showing. So, you know, one of the things I used to do uh, my first couple of training camps is I would visualize even, you know, before practice, uh, it was, it was, a, it really was a game preparation for each and every practice, because you never knew when you showed up to the rink that day, if your name tag would be pulled down, uh, your gear would be, you know, frankly, in a, in a garbage bag or a minor league bag. And uh, the team services uh, man or woman would, would tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, the head coach and the GM want to see you. And uh, you knew at that point you were being sent elsewhere, either back to junior, uh, which I actually never was. I, I made the NHL after my you know, first training camp. Uh, or you're getting sent down to the minors, which I have had happen now uh, a handful of times in, in my career. So I would literally go through, if I knew the drills ahead of time, or I had an idea of what drills we'd be doing, I would uh, rehearse them in my mind. Uh, I would 
you know, sort of go through my entire game ritual practice in order to prepare. Uh, and you know, my agent, I'm, uh, I'm with Pat Morris at Newport and, and this was what we agreed upon uh, being our strategy for training camp. You know, he made mention Connor, a lot of guys will be showing up to training camp, trying to get ready for the season. And that's great. You know, they've earned that. That's where their, their game and their contract status lies. Uh, you're not necessarily in that position, you know, as I had signed a, a two-way contract with Seattle and he, uh, you know, was pretty frank about it. Connor, each and every moment you were on the ice, there's an evaluation period where you have to be your absolute sharpest. And it was a good experience to remember. And it's something I've even tried to carry down as I played for the checkers. This, this hunger and this need to prove it day in, day out, uh, can sometimes leave you as, as a pro. And I don't want to say necessarily that it left me because I never took my NHL spot for granted. I was a, a lineup checker, as they call it. There's a lot of guys in the NHL when they show up to the rink that day. You know, they'll check the, they'll check the lineup if they get around to it, if uh, they're curious about who's on their line that night. And, you know, your, your goal is always to get to that level of status uh, in, the, in the league. Uh, for a lot of my career, you know, I was someone that as soon as I got to the rink, I was curious am I in it or not? And, and checking, uh, you know, where in the depth chart, you know, the coach had me at that time. Um, so, you know, overall, you know, very happy with, uh, how I performed in training camp, how I performed and physical testing, how I performed in the on ice testing, uh, the rapport, you know, with the management and with coach, uh, was pretty strong. I understand Seattle still has, you know, quite a few defensemen, uh, in their organization at the NHL level. So for us, you know, in the American Hockey League, uh, you know, the, the Seattle defensemen have been doing well, uh, but there really hasn't been uh, much of a call-up opportunity, uh, at least not uh, for the defensemen. So that sort of is all I have to, to hang my hat on there. Um, one of the other things I, I wanted to mention that I thought was, was sort of disappointing, and in hindsight, I should have saw it coming, was, at the end of every summer, a lot of professional hockey players can attest to this. You're trying to basically host uh, an NHL training camp schedule on your own before you go. You are practicing five to seven days a week. Uh, we are training three to seven days a week, kind of depending on where we are in the training cycle. You're lugging your gear to different rinks. You're, you're calling coaches to schedule what you need. Uh, you're organizing with your strength coach. Uh, you know, kind of uh, where am I training wise? What's the, you know, cadence and the hourly demand going to be for this week? So you're, you're, you're your own uh, sort of executive assistant and you have to show up and perform and you do the laundry and you cook the food. And there's a lot of logistical pieces at the National Hockey League does such a great job taking care of for the player, trying to remove it, remove any excuses uh, for poor performance. The NHL feeds you uh, really, really well. All of the NHL Features of the locker room are there uh, in order for to, to help with performance. Beautiful weight rooms, saunas, hot tubs, cold tubs, hot packs, trainers available all in one spot to offer you, you know, the most timely and convenient access uh, to everything you need uh, to play. And in the summer, you're really replicating that uh, on your own. And, and one of the things I thought was funny was I was, uh, you know, usually I have a sauna available uh, at the gym. Our, our sauna kind of, you know, was not working this summer. And I usually have one at home, my little sauna dome, which I didn't have because I left it in storage in Jersey. 
So I never brought it back to Chicago. And one of the things I thought was, oh man, I just cannot wait to have some of these luxuries in the NHL locker room for training camp. And I show up and it's day one and I don't have a stall. I understand Seattle brought, you know, a lot of NHL uh, quality players to training camp, but I was, you know, sort of in rink two there um, at the uh, community iceplex there in what would really be the same exact quality and, and type of locker room. I was showing up at public rinks all summer. Uh, in Chicago, and it was kind of a trek to be able to make it back, uh, you know, to the steam room sauna and things like that in the locker room. So there were some uh, conveniences as an outsider looking in for the NHL roster that uh, I was dealing with, and it was it was humbling. I remember being, you know, pretty bummed uh, that that was the case. I remember being pretty bummed that I didn't anticipate that being the case, uh, but was was able to you know, mentally rewrap my head around and, and understand, all right, Connor, this is where we are. Uh, work your way up. You know, you were, uh, you know, never really given anything in the beginning or, or expected anything. Uh, and, uh, you know, look how far you've been able to come, you know, with that attitude and that, that willingness to work and that willingness to perform uh, as needed. So then we get sent down. Uh, Lexi and I uh, had, had, you know, decided to take training camp on together as a family. I understand some players in my position uh, will separate from their families and do kind of the hotel dance on their own, the training camp thing on their own. Lexi and I decided, you know, hey, uh, we're going to go. We're going to experience this new market. We're going to see everything Seattle has to offer, which we did. We we hiked. We went out to uh, Port Ludlow. We had a family friend, had a home out there. It was beyond gracious to, to share with us. And, uh, you know, that was maybe the... Uh, the reason Lexi was able to create that beautiful TikTok I refer back to anytime I want a good cry of Charlie and I hiking and, and, you know, touching different trees and, and feeling the different textures, uh, the forests of Seattle of the Pacific Northwest had to offer. And, uh, we really did. We had a, we had a great time out there. We did all the coffee. Uh, we did all the, you know, hipster sort of food that we could, uh, hit up between the hours of, you know, four fifteen and six thirty PM before Charlie, uh, goes to bed, but we had a we had a great time out in Seattle, all things considered, uh, and I was really proud of both her and I's day to day approach. It's not easy to live day to day like that. It can be very tense. Uh, you know, on on bad days, there can be an overreaction uh, to the highs that the the good days have to offer. But I think together we were pretty level headed uh, as a couple, and uh, really pocketed that experience as a positive one. And I, I will say the excitement for an inaugural season training camp was phenomenal. I think that blood into our home and we were just, you know, really trying to add something strong to the culture of the Seattle crack and whatever that was, we wanted to add to uh, the vibe, the excitement uh, in the town with, you know, both my effort and then just, you know, kind of being out on the town and, and experiencing it. So then we get, uh, sent down to the Charlotte Checkers, uh, which I thought was kind of an unknown. It's a split uh, affiliate, which I've never experienced. Meeting that uh, both the Seattle Kraken and the Florida Panthers contribute players uh, to our team. And and really, I would say it, after the second day of training camp, uh, I haven't thought about that uh, for a second. If anything, I kind of enjoy some of the insight into the Florida Panthers organization that you you know can steal and, and get from you know players who are going up and down as I become more familiar with those players, it's a kind of a non-traditional hockey market. doesn't get a ton of media. Uh, some of their, you know, superstars I've played uh, against, uh, but, you know, don't know 
too, too much about the Alexander Barkovs of the world and the Jonathan Huberdos. And obviously the, the team in Florida has been really, really good. So it's, it's been interesting to kind of witness a little bit of how the organization operates, how they draft, uh, get you know, familiar with some of their players, uh, you know, who I didn't share a training camp with while bringing, you know, some of the new friendships uh, from the Krakens camp to Charlotte. A couple things of note uh, that I uh, have to uh, have to share about Charlotte that we really like because I, I get asked all the time by friends and family. The weather, the weather's phenomenal. I think as I record this, it's like eight degrees in Chicago. There's snow everywhere. Uh, and here, uh, I mean, I could have played golf today if I decided. Uh, it was New Year's Day and I did uh, recently. This was waiting our team to, to come back. Uh, you know, for its second half after the Christmas break. Uh, and, and something I've been considering a lot is that we are not separate uh, from our environment, right? Our nervous system is intertwined with uh, the weather and, and kind of how we feel about, f- for sure, our home. I think everyone uh, can relate to this when they have, you know, a particularly uh, messy home. There's a, there's a mental clutter that's experienced in that space oftentimes beyond just the guilt of, of, the fact that we should be cleaning, right? Kind of that, that motherly voice in the back of our head uh, that we should be cleaning our room. Uh, but it, it's physical. You can feel it. And something that I've really enjoyed about playing uh, in a warmer weather uh, market is there are these opportunities for, you know, deeply parasympathetic uh, walks and, and hangouts with Hoagie, with Charlie that might not be accessible if uh, I played in a, in a colder market, which I have. So it, it's been something I've really indulged in, uh, in trying to enjoy the outdoors. Uh, something I think our coach does a phenomenal job of Jordy Kieran and, and Dan Bilesma, but also, you know, I've talked amongst some of the older players, uh, you know, with our team is uh, something I've tried to bring is, is an NHL level of execution in practice and NHL level of sneakiness in practice. These are attributes that are really on display uh, in full clarity. The more time you're able to spend around NHL players, uh, sometimes in the American League, I, I find uh, the player in general isn't as crafty. There's a there's a, a step down, of course, with some of the puck play. You know, pucks just tend to wobble. Uh, passes are there uh, a tad late, and so that's something I've. That that got me to the NHL was my my puck play and some of my hockey sense and my timing and my craftiness. I'm not the biggest guy, but you know I I understand uh, leverage and and how to use my stick to create turnovers and things like that. So these are all things I've tried to uh, make contagious at the AHL level and really continue to try to practice. I think I've had stints in the American Hockey League. Otherwise, during my NHL career. And I admit where, that the oomph and excitement to practice uh, sometimes wasn't there because I was wounded in, in the fact that, that I was. I was I was grieving rather than uh, really digging in uh, to get back to being uh, in the NHL. And and sometimes that was that was just from injury and things like that. But um, you know, I I think that this time around. Uh, there's a certain mental fortitude and resiliency and athletics and athleticism, athleticism uh, that I was in. I was in progress of forging in my previous AHL stints. Uh, even even down to you know, I think this is a, a Tony Robbins sort of uh, you know 
concept is if you want to raise the quality of your life, you've, you have to examine your standards. And in the NHL, there's a certain privilege to being there. There's a certain air. There's a certain level of income, sure, uh, that, that leads to certain behaviors. And, and one of the ones as well I've been trying to bring uh, is, is it's simple, but it's a sign of how you hold yourself is trying to dress well to come for, to the rink, trying to look uh, like a professional uh, each morning. Uh, and I, I think that it's a, a self-worth and self-respect piece uh, that sometimes, you know, in the minor leagues, I get it. Uh, you know, a lot of players in the, in the American Hockey League, Hockey League will call it the jungle. Uh, the, you know, they're just coming off a three and three. You know, maybe they, you know, went to a team party on Sunday night afterwards, day off Monday and Tuesday. They're just kind of, you know, they're not, they're not feeling super hot. So they're just going to, you know, do the best they can halfway brush their teeth and, and grab whatever sweats are on the floor from the day off on Monday and get through practice on Tuesday. And I think that's something that a lot of times the NHL is such a, a fast paced game and they're, they're so quick to, uh, you know, frankly call bullshit on, on certain performances and, and things that are allowed um, where, you know, players really do try to, to be sharper and in the AHL, you know, trying to avoid any sense of, of complacency because the other side of the coin, I don't want to sound like some high and mighty NHL or just, you know, spending time in the American league. Uh, on one hand, I'm trying to prove myself again, uh, that I can be an upper echelon player in the AHL and, and, you know, rise out of it and, and get called up or, or find myself in another uh, NHL um, equation. In the AHL now, you know, I'm a little bit older. I'm 27, turning 20, 28 in April. I'm in the middle of my career with a whole lot of talent coming uh, behind me. This was something I was as a young prospect, right? I, I was the young player uh, coming into the league as an explosive skater, uh, as a dynamic offensive player, uh, maybe a little lacking in some of the hockey sense and and the tricks of the trade uh, rather at the NHL level. Uh, but, and, and I was curious. I'd look at these older players that I thought I could skate better than and shoot harder than, and I, I didn't understand uh, why they were having more success uh, than I was, and and I was getting sent down to the minors and that kind of thing, um, you know. And it really became only a matter of time until some really good coaches got their hands on me and and taught me uh, the pro game. And and now I'm on the other side of that, where I have access to some of that experience, I have access to some of that knowledge, uh, you know. But there's a whole lot of talent coming behind me, and I have to prove uh, even to keep what I do have uh, in the American Hockey League like to keep, to stay on a, a power play to stay you know, in the upper 20 uh, minutes uh, as, as a defenseman in, in terms of ice time every night. So it really comes down to, you know, in pro hockey, absolutely nothing will be given to you, at least for any length of time. The coaches have too much invested. They have to win. They have goals uh, to reach. And, and it's a competitive sport. And I, I love having that pressure to perform uh, every day. Uh, but it's something I've really tried to lean into uh, at the American Hockey League. Uh, another uh, topic of focus for me is is leading uh, our team versus you know being a supporting player. So in the NHL, a lot of times my job was just get the puck to the best players, uh, you know, make my little breakout pass. Kind of we use the term sometimes like be vanilla or you know just sort of blend in as a player uh, where you're not making any mistakes. And that's checking the box a lot of times as a depth NHL player. Uh, at the AHL level, I've tried to push myself. Uh, offensively, to be available in more rushes, to be available as an offensive option, to uh, continue to uh, 
you know, make all of these very reliable, steady and consistent plays underneath little, you know, middle pop plays to the center off the breakout, uh, sort of, uh, you know, a, a well-timed high flip after my team has been struggling and we're in our own zone, uh, you know, making that, that one play that uh, over and over and over all game long that continues to tilt the ice in our favor and help us stay in the ozone, have more offensive chances and all that, uh, but also be available uh, and, and wrap my mind around making some of the game-breaking plays that I, you know, I want to say was famous for, but was doing a lot earlier in my career. Uh, you know, making that crafty face-off play and 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 trying something uh, to break the game open. Uh, you know, really uh, trusting uh, my offensive instincts and going and standing somewhere where, you know, maybe in the NHL you you sort of stick to what the coach would identify as the system or the structure, uh, versus at the AHL kind of being a little bit more of a of a true hockey player. Um, another side benefit to playing uh, as often as consistently as I am in the American Hockey League right now is I'm in you know phenomenal game shape. Uh, there's a certain cadence of stops and starts due to the broken plays that happen in the American Hockey League that leads to a certain level of conditioning uh, that I'm not even positive you could get at the NHL level. I've never been you know an upper 20 minute uh, guy in the NHL, but there's a there's a certain poise and cat and mouse game that goes down in the NHL. That, that, that's famous for uh, that league. In the American Hockey League, it's, it's a lot more sprinting. Uh, it's a fast game. I remember I was talking to, uh, I was playing for the, the Binghamton Devils, playing out of Newark there last season. And Will Butcher and Miles Wood were in the stands, uh, good friends of mine. And uh, they were watching us play Lehigh Valley. This was a funny game, actually. It was my first game in quite some time. Uh, I'd finally gotten sent down, and uh, the game was canceled after the first period. Uh, due to a, a COVID issue, issue, but I remember Will checking in on me after the game, saying, "Hey, man, how'd that go?" And I was like, "Well, it being just the first period went well. I, you know, had an assist and was playing well, and and you know, but I remember thinking the game was quick. Lehigh really was committed to dumping pucks in at a level that you know, again, the HL sometimes is famous for. Some of those high end rush players uh, aren't available to to you know get middle ice and things like that." Uh, because they're that they're in the NHL and uh, there's, there's a lot of breaking out, a lot of physicality. It was a fast game. And uh, he's like, yeah, man, like I gotta be honest. Like I, I actually was really caught off guard at, at how fast the game looks like. I was even wondering, and this is Will Butcher, who's, you know, had a, a really strong NHL career currently playing with the Buffalo Sabres. It's like, a, you know, he, he was half joking, but half serious. Like, I, I'm not sure how I would have felt out there. Like that, that game looked quick, uh, which it was, but, uh, that, you know, is, is a, a big part of, um, you know, why I'm able to, uh, why I'm in the shape that I'm in uh, at this time. I also want to transition now uh, to, you know, some of the other aspects of, of my life and of, of my training uh, and of my career thus far. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about if I can get there all the way to, uh, you know, the books I'm reading. Uh, some of my nutrition practices and some of my training practices right now. Uh, nutritionally, we'll start there. Uh, I mentioned it earlier, the NHL has, has quite a, a bit of luxury involved in it. You're staying at, you know, the JW Marriott, the Ritz Carlton, uh, your pregame meals have, uh, you know, two kinds of fish, beef, chicken, uh, breaded chicken, you know, three or four sauces, uh, three or four different types of greens, broccoli, green beans, peas, uh, 
you know, depends sometimes on the hotel, you know, elaborate uh, salad bar, uh, two kinds of potatoes, sweet potato, white potato, white rice, brown rice, uh, you know, gluten-free pasta, whole wheat pasta. Sometimes there's spinach pasta, regular pasta, and the list goes on. The AHL, frankly, is is not as supportive. The, the, the amount of money in the game and in the business isn't as robust. And so, you know, uh, we don't, you know, stay at the Ritz and we don't eat, uh, you know, frankly, as well. Uh, so what I've, you know, tried to do uh, without, you know, break, baking, uh, breaking the bank rather is, uh, you know, making time at home uh, even more, you know, dialed in and, and healthful and soulful uh, and regenerative, right? Uh, you know, time on the road can be filled with a lot of seed oils. You know, you know, they're cooking with uh, grapeseed oil, canola oil, things of the sort. Uh, the, the meals and things like that are not uh, going to be organic. Uh, one of the things that particularly struggle with is healthy fats. Um, you know, at the pregame meal, it's, it's a skinless, boneless chicken breast, usually rice or a pasta. I choose the rice because I'm uh, mostly uh, I'm gluten-free, uh, you know, a, a steamed broccoli. And then I try to avoid uh, some of those, you know, like the Ken's Steakhouse dressings and things like that that can have a bunch of junk and soybean oil and sugar and things like that. Uh, on this, this to also combat that, uh, what I've done is I've really invested in uh, my snack game. Frankly, I I bring you know chomps with me, which is a grass fed uh, beef protein option. They also make a, a turkey and a venison, so I'll, I'll mix that up. I'll bring those and either have those for breakfast or lunch. I uh, bring my purely Elizabeth oatmeal. Um, it's a, it's a better option a lot of times than uh, your oatmeals that are going to have gluten in them, your, your sort of your Quaker oats and things like that. Uh, it just makes a slightly better option. I've been using these uh, bare bones, uh, instant uh, bone broths. Those are a great treat for me on the road, help add some, some collagen, some glycine, uh, you know, to my diet to help with, you know, uh, the, the struggles on your gut that life on the road can offer. Oh, something I've always, you know, sort of felt about the NH, or the American Hockey League is I've always felt for players where physical traits are sometimes what's holding them back from being in the NHL. Like other than my height, uh, I'm I'm definitely strong enough to play in the NHL. I'm definitely explosive enough and thick enough. I'm a little on the shorter side as a D-man, which you know has hurt me at times in my NHL career. Uh, but I but I really relate to and think of. Um, you know, younger players struggling to put on a muscle mass. I, I've never felt at the American Hockey League level that, uh, you know, they have uh, some of the tools available uh, needed to be able to, to get to that next level as fast as they can. And, and you know, most of the young players I've talked to uh, will try and they are creative and exhaustive and in, in utilizing the resources they do have. Uh, they definitely don't necessarily feel they're, they're being cheated, uh, but they, you know, recognize sometimes uh, just the, the limit of how far they can, can, can bring their health, particularly uh, in season uh, without, you know, really exhausting their own uh, dime and time, cooking all of their meals, uh, bringing, you know, a cold on the road and spending all the money that, um, you know, healthful eating sometimes can be expensive and, and, you know, the bank accounts aren't as, uh, Right. They're not as big in the American Hockey League, right? You're getting a lot of younger players who haven't made uh, the crux of their uh, pro hockey career money yet. Uh, something I've completely dropped is fasting. My friend John Hayden is someone who uh, has used this in, pr- in practice, on, on practice days. 
and as a practice to feel better and limit uh, inflammation markers over a season. I've, I've talked to players who, you know, frankly, just aren't hungry in the morning. And so they'll fast through practice and, and start with lunch. I've done this. I personally feel just a huge cortisol spike. I'm a, I'm a coffee drinker, uh, as you know, connoisseur rather, if you follow me on Instagram. And, uh, you know, frankly, I've ever listened to this podcast. I love coffee, which kind of provides a, a pretty hefty cortisol spike, especially for someone like me who is caffeine sensitive uh, in the morning, but skipping that, that breakfast meal also kind of just drives up uh, the cortisol spike. And I would feel anxious or nervous for, you know, really would be uh, a routine practice. So the fasting is something uh, I've stopped doing and I've replaced it with a protein and fat rich meal, generally eggs and nuts or meat and nuts. I'll do like grass fed ground beefs uh, or uh, an organ blend uh, for the meal. And I found that this has had, uh, I've better been able to get the amount of protein I need uh, in a day. So my uh, weight has been more manageable. My energy level has been much more consistent uh, day in, day out, much less of a dip uh, in performance uh, for practice and things of the sort. And then just for my family life, I, I feel a lot calmer coming home after the ring. Sometimes I would, I would try to fast on purpose and my intentions were good. I, I was trying to do it for performance and health and, and, uh, but I would come home from lunch, uh, from practice rather for lunch and be tired from the skate. I would be, uh, sort of fritzing out from having not eaten and having this extended cortisol spike. Uh, and I would, I'd be a bear to be around until I'd eaten. I'd be hangry as commonly known. And, uh, it, it would be difficult to be around me, uh, from a family perspective. So I've, I found that practice has simply just not served me any longer. I've been uh, loving my designs for sport. I work with them. I am on their design. I was, I'm on their uh, advisory board. I love their products, been a huge help for all the reasons I mentioned the NHL, you know, they call it the never hungry league and the HL, they call it the always hungry league. Uh, we just don't have access to, you know, frankly, the macronutrients or the micronutrients needed. Uh, I think uh, to support uh, my best performance. I've been, I drink daily. Uh, the beef protein, the chocolate is my personal favorite. I add uh, glutamine to that. I do a bunch of spinach, some berries and some water and some Greek yogurt. That's a smoothie and some cinnamon. That's the one I have uh, daily, if not almost daily. Uh, I really like the element salts uh, as a heavy sweater. I use uh, it's LMNT. I think it's Rob Wolf's company. Uh, I'm a heavy sweater. I frankly just really enjoy uh, the way they taste. Uh, it, it helps me remain hydrated because of the taste being so good. I, I am upping my water intake. Oh, another reason I like the, the DFS products. What do I use every day? I use the fish oil every day. I use the multi every day. I use the adrenal flow every day. I use the vitamin D three uh, every day. I use the neural complex, the magnesium every day. Uh, but the beef protein in particular to circle back to that one. Uh, sometimes just the sight of another a bland, unsalted, you know, boiled looking uh, chicken breast to eat. Another one of those is simply unfathomable. And this is where, you know, being create, uh, creative with my supplementation has helped. Uh, I want to focus in on the magnesium. That is a, a product in particular that I feel most immediately. If I am not taking my magnesium, my uh, sleep will suffer. My, uh, I, I will kind of be jittery in bed and almost have like a restless leg of sort. 
Um, and so I find that this and the bare bones uh, powder broth between those two uh, before bed really helps with some of the deep sleep and REM cycle, uh, REM sleep cycle scores that I'll, I'll track on my uh, aura ring. Uh, something about uh, the combination of those two right before bed, a warm drink and the magnesium really helps me. Wanted to transition now to training, uh, really focusing on three particular uh, corners of training right now. And, and one of the things in 2022 I've, I've found to be a passion of mine, uh, I watched a, a Netflix documentary, The Alpinist, recently on, on Marc-Andre Leclerc. And I won't you know offer any spoiler alerts, but Marc-Andre is a climber who will uh, do certain climbs, you know, entirely free of, of any belts and things like that. And, uh, you know, so he's dancing with these near death experiences. He's talks a lot about these, these deep entrenchments and flow state as he's outdoors and doing this, uh, slow and steady, you know, puzzle work that is, is how am I going to get myself up this mountain safely? And I, I really found it interesting. You can see this consciousness uh, that he's in this aura uh, that he has, this respect for life, this love for craft and what he does, this sense of journey. And it's something I've really tried to adopt in 2022. I've talked a lot about Alan Watts, and I find that uh, he particularly can verbalize this experience and way of being uh, better than really anyone else I've listened to. Um, I was on uh, the Sam Harris, I forget the, the name of his app, uh, but I was very excited to see, I just joined, uh, that he has an Alan Watts collection. So I, I can't wait to sort of dive into uh, the meditative work uh, there. Uh, but there's there's three components of of training that I've been focusing on quite a bit. Sleep, uh, detox work, and breath work. I've just, you know, like anything else, you, you uh, get excited about uh, new things in your training, in your life, in your diet. Um, you know, variety is the spice of life. And so, you know, I've really been trying to, uh, see what foods, uh, and, and sleep practices can help me sleep. How can I sleep more deeply, with less sleep, right? Because I particularly enjoy, uh, being awake and being available for, you know, uh, sport goals that I have, uh, you know, family time, right. Uh, come home, let's say, for example, after a back-to-back game, you know, I, I don't get down till, uh, you know, 2 a.m. and Charlie's up at seven. That's a five hour, uh, you know, sleep that night. And I might not be as sharp uh, either in the morning or later that day. And that's not what I want, considering I, you know, in the American Hockey League, we get one off day uh, a week. So, you know, one of the things I've been really trying to practice is my, my cool down. Uh, I've been, uh, you know, doing a meditation uh, post game. Uh, or sometimes I will be doing, uh, I belong to this breathwork practice called Our Breath Collective. Uh, it's going to be live soon. I haven't enjoy, uh, joined as an ambassador yet. Talking with uh, Samuel Whiting there, uh, one of their founders, uh, about joining. Uh, but but I've really liked the uh, practice there. It's a it's an online community. They offer live classes, which I'll attend if I can. But for the most part, I do the live, the live streams are recorded and I attend them uh, later in the day at, you know, sort of at my convenience. And what I really like is they're generally always uh, 15 to 20 minutes because sometimes uh, the shorter uh, time commitment in the, in the short run allows for better long run um, sort of adherence to the goal. So I've really enjoyed that. There's variety 
in the breath practice. I think like a lot of people, I was first attracted to Wim Hof and how I felt after the hyperventilating in contrast with the breath holds. I actually think I'll be doing one after this podcast uh, in the sauna today. That's been a practice I really liked. Uh, but with our breath collective, they'll go through different cadences. They have different instructors on board. Sometimes uh, the breath work is more movement based and there, there'll be a, a rhythmic dance and, and exploration of higher rib cage, uh, rib cage in your spine feels that day. Sometimes there'll be a play uh, between, you know, uh, nasal breathing, uh, sort of the Patrick McEwen breathe light to breathe right uh, type breathing where you're, you're barely noticing the inhale and exhale in contrast with uh, sort of, you know, loud and out of control hyperventilation like you'd see uh, through the mouth common, um, you know, with Wim Hof. And so I, I really like the uh, teaching that exists there. There's definitely, uh, I've, I've definitely uh, improved my, uh, the width, depth, and length of, of my toolbox of sort in the breathwork category. And, and where I've seen that in my performance help is, you know, definitely in the cool down and, and sort of the stress management aspect of this pro hockey lifestyle, uh, but also the amping up. I think that this is something that as I get older in my career, I have to continue to be, you know, more and more creative. I love the game of hockey, uh, but sometimes, you know, this all me, this is my ninth year coming up on 10 years. Sometimes, you know, you've, uh, the, the, the spunk for certain games uh, will change. And, and so physically, if I'm able to tap into my body uh, and re-excite myself for, for the game and just kind of get the ball moving, uh, sometimes very much like a workout, right? Where all you've got to do is start and, and begin that initial sweat. And then you're into it and you're into the flow. This is something I found to be the case uh, with my, um, you know, breathwork practice and sort of my energy management uh, piece. Then uh, what else do I got here? Uh, the skill and strength work is built into uh, the schedule, right? So this is something and from a yang yin sort of approach that I, I have identified in pro hockey. Uh, every team's got a strength coach. Uh, we have a lot of time available in the American Hockey League in terms of ice time before or after and, and just general practice time uh, for skill work. So I consider that sort of the yang, uh, you know, pillar of, of my training. But the yin, uh, the integration piece is, is missing. Um, and, uh, you know, so this is where some of the, uh, uh, the breath work uh, you know, component comes in. This is where uh, my ability to spend time uh, restoring has been really helpful, you know, as I continue to uh, try and see just how good I can be in pro hockey. Uh, another, oh yeah, this is something I wrote down. If you were to compare, I think, sort of the yang to yin, uh, you know, what the ratio is in pro hockey it would probably be, you know, in a month, let's call it like a hundred uh, yang training, uh, you know, examples. Let's say you, you practice uh, almost every day. You um, actually, let's call it 90 to one. So let's say you practice in a day. That's a yang sort of session. You do video work. That's the same thing. And you do a workout. Uh, there's 30 days in a month. So you do three of those. There's 90 uh, sort of yang uh you know, demands in there and, and, you know, not a single uh, sort of yin or restorative uh, practice. And I actually, you know, I, I do want to commend our strength coach here in Charlotte, uh, Artie Hairston. He does a, actually a nice job of tying in some of the uh, breath work components. Um, but uh, for a lot of teams I've been in, been on in a month, 
you might have 90 yang sessions with one or zero uh yin so it, it's been uh something i've i've always tried to i've always found fascinating sauna work i post about it quite a bit sauna and some of the aldoa the myofascial stretching i've been trying to do one or two of those a week i use my uh new calm on flights that's been a nice asset oh the uh the wave red light as well uh, i think uh, red light therapy has been something i've read uh, quite a bit about and have found really interesting uh, so i found that uh, helpful in my morning routine particularly i i stack that of sort with my air breath uh, collective session and uh yeah so that kind of that's the, that's the end of my notes there that kind of ties up the the biohacking and and sport performance piece uh but uh, I do want to end this podcast. I'm coming up in an hour. You might've heard a couple times in the podcast, Hoagie's getting a little antsy to, to get outside. So I want to be fair to him. Thank you for rejoining me on the podcast. I hope you had a strong finish to 2021. I understand it was a squirrely year, uh, really demanding in a lot of ways. I know myself and my family, uh, you know, are, are tired of a lot of the communication demands, a lot of the health demands that we've all had to jump and, and hoop through in 2021. And so I'm hoping as we start 2022 off together, uh, there's a, there's a freshness and invigoration, uh, that comes after the, the reflective time at the end of one year and the beginning of the next. And I really want to thank you for welcoming me, uh, back into your life. Uh, I've always uh, been amazed that I even have a single podcast listener, just given the unbelievable talent that is offering, uh, easy to access, uh, information, uh, each and every day. So I, I really want to thank you as a curious competitor uh, listener. And uh, I look forward to doing this again uh, next week. And uh, you can also, uh, if there's any particular topics of focus that you, you want me to talk about in these solo podcasts, I am always open uh, to suggestions. My, my DMs are open. I'm at Connor Carrick on Instagram. I'm not on Twitter as much. Or you can email me at ConnorCarrickMedia at gmail.com. Uh, I wanted to uh, make that available for, uh, you know, fans of the podcast as well. So thank you for listening and I hope you have a great rest of your day.